0: Coming up on this week's episode of Chelsea Mike Depp, Up, I've got something for Alvaro Morata. Look, let me just level with you people. I don't really care much for the man. We'll get into that a little bit later on in the podcast. We have Jason Cundy, former Chelsea player and a familiar face to you guys who use the Chelsea Fist Stand app. We talk about the return to football. I find a way to once again sneak Erling Haaland's name into this podcast. Oh, I just did it. Drink. And we talk about transfer rumors because we don't really have much going on in the way of football. So why not turn to our second favorite pastime, talking about transfer rumors. That and much more coming up on this week's episode of Chelsea Miked Up. Here we
1: go. All
0: right, another week during the pandemic of no games to talk about. But Chris Whittingham, my neutral observer friend, and myself are here for you. The content still turns out weekly, and it's finally happened. Chris Whittingham, guess what I'm about to say?
2: Is it Holland again?
0: No, no, no. I already worked that in during the intro. So drink. <laughs> It's finally happened. We're leading the show with transfer rumors. What? I know. I know. I, I didn't want to be that guy. And I know I won't be that guy next week, but we need to start here because it seems as though, look, people still need to get their clicks, pandemic or not right? So a lot of these stories are making its way out there, and some of them lead to some very real conversations and interesting conversations about players like N'Golo Kante, which we've been, it's been on our sort of board here of topics that we want to talk about, and we just haven't gotten to it just yet. But Chelsea do have an interesting predicament when it comes to players like N'Golo Kante. But Let's start with the top prize considered by many available this offseason in Jaden Sancho. Let's continue our reoccurring bit as the Sancho churns. Uh, what is the latest Jaden Sancho news?
2: We need, like, a, I don't even know how, it, what is it, as the world turns. Uh, I feel like as the Sancho turns, he's his own like, musical intro. Yeah, so the latest with him is Borussia Dortmund are trying to keep him. And it's kind of felt inevitable that he's going to go because it's an English player at a German club. And, of course, all of the English clubs are going to want to have him back, especially if he makes an impact. He's been so good that it's just sort of this inevitability well, he's going to want to go. So Borussia Dortmund, according to Bild, which are the main German newspaper, they are trying to keep him at a salary of 10 million euros per season or in the context of the English paying system, about £190,000 a week. So they really want to you know, hike up his salary to try and convince him to stay because one of the things that we've always talked about is if Borussia Dortmund ever kept all their players be one of the best teams in the world. I think now with Haaland, I wonder if they kind of feel like the clock is ticking with Haaland because they have this incredible player and he might go on a release clause in 18 months time. If they maybe want to try and go and win a title, maybe even the Champions League. I feel like with that attacking group, they certainly can. So they might try and keep him for another year, but I feel like the offers are going to start coming in from the big English clubs, Chelsea in particular, and they're going to try and convince him to go and we'll see what Sancho ultimately wants to do.
0: (laughs) In the United States, this week is NFL Draft week, and there is always a bunch of smoke and playing of the media by some of these franchises to have the media, who is in desperate search of content during these times, to put out a story and create some faux leverage. While I do think Jaden Sancho is absolutely the type of player a club like Bruce Adorman would look at itself in the mirror and say, "Hey, maybe this one we keep." I just don't see this club changing its ways. It's a shame because many great players have been coming through that system just in the last decade. Hell, even their managers have been quite impressive, but I just don't see Dortmund changing
2: who they are. But when do you stop being a feeder club to the big boys and you start deciding, hey- We have 75,000 people that come to our games every week. We have the most impressive crowd in Europe. We have all these incredible players that want to come here because they know their careers are going to get better here. If we get 11 of them at the same time, why don't we just become one of the big boys? And ultimately, that comes down to what we're talking about, which is you have to pay the salaries that command, you know, of what Real Madrid would, basically. That Real Madrid gets the best players because they pay the most money. And so if Dortmund decide that they want to turn and try and become this, then I don't see why not.
0: Well, there is a sea change in club football. And once again, to bring in the dumb American football sort of comparison, I don't know if you've noticed what's happened over the last few years with college football. Quarterbacks are starting to play as true freshmen. First year out of high school, they're playing for the big programs because that's how you get these guys to play now. In club football, a guy turns 25 that used to be exactly when you, you signed the big transfer fee. That's the beginning of someone's prime. Now clubs are playing, especially our club here at Chelsea, clubs are playing 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds. A 25-year-old sounds ancient. Hell, when I'm searching on FIFA, I cut it off at 23 when I'm looking at the transfer market. (laughs) It just seems like a totally different game. So if Dortmund, who previously, when they were this feeder club, and I do think that's a fair criticism, they would do this with stars in their mid-20s. And that's a time where you sell high. This is obviously... A, a, a sell high candidate in Jaden Sancho. We're talking about over a hundred million dollar transfer. However, he could be an even sell higher a few years down the line. This is, I think, the business of football has changed with guys like Jaden Sancho proving, okay, I'm not going to get my opportunity. I can go over there. And you have these willing clubs in the Bundesliga who look we're starting our show here with bundesliga football get used to it because considering their start date we might all be bundesliga experts and i'm curious <laughs> to see if that actually changes the dynamics in terms of financially do is there some sort of leg up on the competition that they get being a, on a higher profile more people who are star for sports are watching the bundesliga it elevates a rising tide lifts all boats it'll be curious to see if there's more to it than just faux leveraging here with Jadon sancho and if Dortmund is actually ready to be that club that I think all of us truly believe they're capable of being and actually keep one of these talents and begin a run, a dynastic run.
2: Right, and, and we know that the thing that they're best at is getting players, making them better, and turning them into stars. Like, they have a machine there. Now, it, to, to answer your previous question, you, you hinted at the fact that the Bundesliga could be returning faster than anybody else by a matter of weeks. Their plan is to return on May the 8th, but I did read that it would be behind closed doors. So, And basically, they're weighing the comparison of if we don't play games, we'll lose 300 million euro. If we play games without fans, we'll lose 100 million euro compared to what we were expected to make. So they're still going to lose money, and one of the things that you mentioned There is something that's being talked about a lot, which is the financial weight uh, for a lot of clubs of not having the revenue that they were expecting to make, almost no matter what. That, uh, unless you can play the season with fans in the stands, then you're going to lose a significant amount of money. And what kind of pressure is that going to put on clubs? I don't know about Dortmund, you know, being a financial superpower just yet, even with, you know, this boon of, of playing early, because in Germany, they don't have the, and for example, in in the news this week, Newcastle is reportedly going to be taken over by a group led by uh, Saudi Arabia, and they're going to have you know huge financial backing. That doesn't happen in Germany, because they have rules that prevent that. So I think ultimately, Dortmund is going to be a selling club, but can you just hang on for as long as you can to try and win the Champions League? Because I think they have a squad good enough to do that.
0: Let's get to that Newcastle conversation, because it's being reported that they're being purchased. Once again, more money coming into the the Premier League, but it was only 300 million pounds that I've seen. That's a number that's reported out in the media. You explained to me why privately in a conversation it made sense, but I was sort of surprised being that again, another American sports (laughs) comparison, the LA Clippers are going for $2 billion. It seems as though Newcastle is a bit of a bargain. I'm almost regretting not pulling together some money with some friends and (laughs) putting together a Venmo package.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so the reports in the British media are about 300, 350 million pounds, which is roughly 400 to 450 million dollars. So it is pretty low considering, I mean, we see all the time the, the prize money that you get for being in the Premier League. It's about 100 million pounds to finish and last. And so you'd think, If you have a guaranteed income of making 100 million pounds, then this is going to be a very valuable business. But it's not guaranteed. And the sporting aspect of being able to be relegated is a huge risk. You see so many clubs right now that are on the brink. Uh, One of the popular things that's happened in in the quarantine is Sunderland Till I Die being released on Netflix. And you basically get revealed of what a disastrous business that Sunderland is. They were basically every year losing 30 million pounds and having their owner write a check. That's essentially what their business model was. And so it is really perilous to get relegated. And that's why you only see the so-called big Including Chelsea, have uh, valuations in you know done by British Economic Studies of more than 800, 900 million Everybody else is lower than four hundred million. Actually, the biggest of the non-big six, you think it'd be like Leicester or something? It's Burnley because they have the most efficient business model and they like keep their salaries down and they run a pretty tight business and so their value is actually seventh amongst teams in the Premier League it makes no sense but it's not like in America where because you have your your revenues guaranteed those numbers are going I mean FC Cincinnati of Major League Soccer was recently there was a 20% stake bought in it for 100 million dollars which means they value FC Cincinnati at 500 million dollars which is more than a Premier League club in Newcastle that's insane but it's just sort of the realities of If your revenues can be taken away, then how valuable is the business? Chris Whittingham, neutral observer,
0: I said that you were an expert on this, and quite frankly, I was surprised. That was expertise, the likes of which I haven't heard on this podcast. Well done. You know more about franchise values and club values than Ashley Cole knows about crossing. That was incredible. Really good stuff. Holy cow. Burnley. Burnley. Burnley is in seventh. Is that just because they play in Middle Earth at a place called Turf Mora and real estate (laughs) values there are just, you know, get in now because it's incredible value over there. Yeah,
2: they they had a a sponsorship deal with uh, Dave Fishwick minibus sales, and it was the the name of one of the stands. It was the Dave Fishwick stand. It's clearly that sponsorship deal that has them at the top of the market. (laughs)
0: It's it's, it's (laughs) incredible. I did not have Burnley being there. So far we've talked about the Bundesliga and the tune, but we haven't talked about Chelsea just yet. That changes right now, even though Jaden Sancho was associated with that. That was technically a Chelsea topic. He's not a Chelsea player. Let's talk about a Chelsea player because there are now the, – the whispers are growing louder, and I don't know if this is clickbait, but N'Golo Conte. this is a very interesting question that the club has to ask itself and fans of the club and players alike because not, I'm not just a Chelsea fan. I'm an N'Golo Kante fan. It's hard to not be an N'Golo Kante (laughs) There's a lot of of
2: memes on the line here.
0: Yeah, I I love this player so much. I know he's one of your favorites to watch too. N'Golo Kante is, compared to the rest of this roster, as we're in the midst of a a youth movement here, and we'll talk to Jason Cundy about that in moments, compared to the rest of the roster, N'Golo Kante is quite long in the tooth even though his body hasn't really taken that punishment. And Golo Kante feels a lot younger than he actually is because he sort of burst onto the scene with that lesser championship campaign. But his run and climb through the ranks is well chronicled, and that took a, a several years for him to just get to that point. The point is you have a team that's finding some success, presently sitting inside the top four with this youth movement. They've done so largely without a fit in Kante this year, plugging holes where you can. We still know, and N'Golo Conte has shown when he is fit, he can make an impact. He was brilliant in that Super Cup against Liverpool. He's brilliant always against Liverpool, but you can get a nice price tag for him. He's obviously immensely popular in his home country of France, and there's a club over there that is always spending money in PSG. Is N'Golo Conte the type of player that you say, let's sell this player to fund maybe a Jadon Sancho younger type signing?
2: It's a good question because I think you have been caught a few times uh, holding on to players past 29-30. And Chelsea have done, we've talked about this before, remarkable selling business, right? Selling players to China for exorbitant fees. That money train has kind of run out. And at 29, as you said, this is probably going to be the peak value for N'Golo Kante. The question is... Can Chelsea get back to putting him in that position where he was so successful, and that his role has changed? Changed under Maurizio Sarri, and everyone thought that when Frank Lampard took over, you would stick. Golo Kante back into that holding role in midfield, and Lampard is actually continue with what Sari did, and and having him play further forward, he's a more technically solid player because of the increase in that role. And it just you you're losing a little bit of what made him the world elite special player that helped France win the World Cup, that helped Leicester win the title, helped Chelsea win the title, and has obviously become you know known as the best holding midfielder in the world.
0: Chris, he's a player that can make so many other players better. We saw what he did with a world class team. He made all those other players on that. French national team that much better I'd really love to see what he can do having a healthy run under Frank Lampard how he can open things up for the rest of the team going forward we have so many young intriguing players like Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic Engolo Conte helps you sort of take the handcuffs off of them because you see how hard Mason Mount is working and pressing. Even though he's not gifted with this incredible speed, he's trying really hard out there. If he can focus a little bit more on his finishing and the attack portion of the game, you might have a really special attacker in Mason Mount, many already think that you do. I think he can help in the development of a lot of these younger players. And like I said, Chelsea's a club that have had a lot of great contributions from older players that many assumed had their best football behind them. So we'll see what there is on N'Golo Kante, but I've said my piece. I am an out-and-out N'Golo Kante supporter, lover of his game, and I hope that he saves with Chelsea for a few more years to come. Coming up next, we have a Chelsea fan favorite, a face that many newer Chelsea fans may just know as a media face, but this guy had plenty of great moments with his time at Chelsea. Jason Cundy joins us next on Chelsea Miked Up.
2: Watch every minute of every match. Download the fifth stand, the official Chelsea app.
0: Joining us now on Chelsea mic Up is a name and face that is familiar with many Chelsea fans in our audience. It's Jason Cundy. Jason played for Chelsea in the 80s and 90s and now works in the media for Chelsea TV and Talksport, which is sort of like the ESPN radio of the UK. He co-hosts the Sports Bar with Andy Goldstein, which is on here in the United States from 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find that on the Talksport app. Jason, welcome to Chelsea Miked Up. Hope you and your family are doing all right during this quarantine.
1: We're all well. It's not easy. There's um, a lot of restrictions as you guys in the states are going through right now as well. Um, difficult times, but um, I hope everyone listening to this is um, healthy, well, and and all their family as well. So, yeah, everyone is well here. Thank you very much.
0: Glad to hear, Jason. I, I wanted to start. First, with your playing days. You grew up a Chelsea fan, going to the bridge, and then get bought into the academy at the club. Can you just describe what it was like to be scouted and picked to represent your favorite club and the emotions you had stepping out onto that Sanford Bridge pitch for the first time playing for your boyhood team? It
1: was kind of down to my dad as well, because my dad was a, a lifelong Chelsea fan. He, he took me to my first game in 1976. It was November, it was my seventh birthday. And throughout that time when I was growing up playing football, I was at lots of other clubs around London. I was at Wimbledon. That's where I was, was born and bred. The only club I wanted to play for was Chelsea and I wasn't scouted by them. So my dad wrote to a guy called Gwyn Williams, who was the, um, the head of the uh, the academy or whatever it was back then, the schoolboys. for a trial. He came down to watch me play. And as soon as he, uh, after the first game, he came up to me and said, we'd like to invite you down training. And, and from that moment on, I was 11 years of age. From that moment on, my my decision was made it was just like a dream really and i feel even now looking back I feel so lucky to to have have uh, been part of the club's you know staff and still am and you know for on off now since I was 11
2: then and now the, making the transition from the academy into the first team is such a massive step that even theoretically all of the big clubs in England are looking for the best players and from that best players only the best then graduate into first team football so uh, can you just describe how difficult that challenge was and ultimately how satisfying it was when you get to step on the pitch at Stanford Bridge for the first time
1: Back then, things were very, very different. There was a, a whole host of us that were coming through. And because Chelsea isn't the club it is now, youth was part of what had to be done. And Bobby Campbell, who was my manager later, Ian Porterfield, lent on the youth. But of course, you've got to be good enough. There's no point having an academy of players that aren't good enough. But You've got to have a player, players that are good enough to come through the academy. And we're seeing that now. Even though that Frank is leaning on the academy, and it's a time when we've gone through a transfer ban, The reality is the players are good enough.
2: After your playing career, you decided to move into the media. Now, I'm always kind of curious how uh, ex-pros decide to do this because um, it it is obviously an opportunity. Uh, Networks and radio stations are always looking for new pundits. And I, I always kind of am curious about if players are thinking about it as they're playing. Was this a thought that you always wanted to be in the media and doing television and radio? Or was it something that you came across?
1: It's someone I stumbled across, Chris, because throughout my, my career, I, I had lots of injuries, huge amounts of injuries, and I ended up retiring at 29. Uh, but at the age of 27, um, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer, and that was something that really took on a new um, direction in, in my media work because I'd had uh, cancer and I, I made it well-known and I became a patron of a of a well-known charity over here. And it was I felt it was kind of my duty to spread the word to young men about how you test yourself for testicular cancer, because it is a young man's disease predominantly. So I've I, I done lots of media work around that. And when I was forced into retirement at 29 to a couple of years later, um, I kind of found myself doing bits of media that was either tied in with the football or tied in with cancer or tied in with both. And more often than not, when I'd done some media work with a radio station or TV station. I, I, I would find there would be kind of repeat work. There would be bits or whenever this topic came up or whenever Chelsea came up, um, that the media work became more and more frequent. And the radio at TalkSport, when I'd done an interview about testicular cancer, they gave me a call back about a year after I'd done the interview saying, we're after a commentator. Can you come and do some commentary work? And I've done that. And eventually, before you know it, you're then involved in doing shows and then it just snowballed. And literally, it wasn't planned. It, 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 the doors opened and, and I was lucky enough for them to, to open for me because I never had the most illustrious career in the world. But I have an ability to talk and I, you know, can somehow can certainly get my message across. And, and being a Chelsea fan, Chelsea TV work came along. And then Jose Mourinho rocked up at Stamford Bridge and so did Roman, you know, in 2004. In and then all of a sudden, there was a demand for ex-Chelsea players the work in the media, and I'd only just started doing that kind of thing. And before I know it, I'm hosting radio shows on national radio. and that, it, Literally, that's how it happened.
0: Transitioning now to the current Chelsea squad, what we wanted to cover with you is one of the biggest talking points of Chelsea season so far, and that's the young players. Obviously, the transfer band plays a role in why the club turned to the youth. Frank Lampard hired as manager, also obviously plays a role. But ultimately, these players have impressed with the opportunities they've been given. I want to start with Tammy Abraham. He was probably handed the biggest responsibility with the number 9 shirt. We all know the curse. How do you think he's handled that responsibility?
1: Well, he, he's a really interesting case because watching Tammy closely, obviously he went to Swansea, things weren't great, he had injuries, it was his first big loan move and 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 it was in the Premier League and you know, that was a part of his learning curve. He then went to Bristol City. And then clearly his talent was noted, went to Aston Villa. Villa's a huge club, biggest of the three. So then you're asking a young boy to go into a club the size of Villa, maybe not Premier League, but that pressure there would have been perfect for his development in the championship. And he developed superbly well. But then I thought what the the brilliance here is, uh, maybe it's got a little bit unnoticed, is that Frank had the choice of three other strikers. He's got Michi Batshuayi, who is far more experienced than than Tammy, he's got a World Cup winner in in, in Giroud. But he told Tammy at the beginning of the season, you are my number one, number nine. And I think what that does, that gives the confidence and the belief that knowing that I've got this shirt and I'm going to give you this shirt, you're going to get a damn good run at this. And it's about you taking the shirt and learning. It may not happen straight away. It might happen three games, five games. We'll work that out. Basically, that I think Frank needs a huge amount of credit to the way that he allowed Tammy to come in first starting position at Stamford Bridge and that number nine shirt. You made the point about the, the, about the players that have worn that in the past, and it worked, it absolutely worked. Look, he's not the finished article, nowhere near it. You know, who is at, the, at his tender age and his first full season, first full season in the Premier League, and he's still learning his, his trade. But I think Frank needs a huge amount of credit for giving him the confidence and the belief that he showed in Tammy to say, go on, just take the shirt. If you have a bad game, I'm not going to take you off. You're going to stick. You're going to keep going. And he's done, he's done remarkably well. What I think has really shown though, throughout that time is that experience is also needed at certain times. And Oliver Giroux has come in, in other games where Tammy's been injured and and perhaps things weren't going so well, that Oliver Giroux is a great backup. That, experience of having someone that can play a slightly different role. He's not as mobile as Tammy, but has a a slightly more physical presence. And I think that Tammy has just been remarkable. There's a lot of work to be done with Tammy. And I think what we will see when the transfer window opens, I think that Frank will be looking to get someone to perhaps be a far more, someone, a combination of an Oliver Giroux and a Tammy, where they're going to be I would say someone that's got to put Tammy under pressure but come in to be a starter and I think they, that would they would both push one another It'd be interesting to see how Frank goes down that that route.
0: We saw this with Romelu Lukaku in his Super Cup miss penalty experience missing a penalty in such a big stage that could really affect a player. How big of a moment was that UEFA Super Cup miss penalty for Tammy Abraham?
1: Yeah, I mean I I think maybe a little bit too much was made of it personally. Players miss penalties. The best players in the world miss penalties. Lionel Messi missed one in the semi-final of the Champions League against Chelsea in 2012. They miss them. It's how you react to them. And how much importance do you place on that one kick? It's just one kick. You give Tammy 20 of those. He probably scores 18. And again, I'm going to go back to Frank. I think Frank needs credit that he took that. It's part of the learning curve of, of, of mentally how you get over disappointments. There have been some disappointments. There's been some huge amount of successes as well. But I think you've got to look at Tammy as well, how he has made sure that that has not been the season-defining moment for him, which I think a lot of people are hoping outside of Chelsea might be. But that first goal, goal—that when you get the first goal in the Premier League, trust me, no one would have remembered that miss of the penalty. It's about the moving forward and he has done that with a plum.
2: Moving on to the next player, uh, Mason Mount. You mentioned the trust that Tammy Abraham was given to have the number nine shirt. It feels like Mason Mount is another player who's been entrusted to, in almost every scenario, find a way onto the pitch in a starting role, whether it's in the central midfield area or whether it's in a wide area in in that back three system in particular when they use that to success in that victory over Tottenham Hotspur. That's a very difficult role uh, to ask a young player to step into because that's the creative. You have to contribute some goals. You have to kind of be the chief playmaker as well. And for a young player to step into that, how do you feel like he's handled it?
1: Well, I think Mason and Frank have got had a relationship before. Of course, they both come back to Chelsea. He was with him at, at Derby, and I know a lot of reporters that I spoke to around that time. And I didn't see much of Mason. I saw I saw games at live on TV, and I saw highlights. I read a lot of reports, but one thing that came back to me every single time for a lot of people that saw him saying he is the star act. Even though Tamore got Player of the Year for Derby, he was the star act. He was the he was the one that made things happen. So watching him for a Chelsea, in a Chelsea shirt for the first time in pre-season, it was interesting to see how Frank always tried to get him in the team somewhere. And there was a game where pretty sure he was playing 10. Ross came on. Ross played 10. And Tammy moved out to the left. And then there was a substitution. I think around about 20 minutes in in the second half. What that was telling me is that Frank is looking where he can play Mason. And also, if I want to play Ross, how can I play Ross? Because clearly they both have similar ideas about playing in that number 10 role or, or trying to arrive or be placed, not maybe start, maybe in, in, a, in a 4-3-3, more often than not Mason would be on the left-hand side, but it would be either arriving in that number 10 position. So I, I found it interesting that Frank really tried to find a place for Mason. And you just made the point, really, Chris, he's versatile. And Frank knows that. He can play in a three at the back if, if necessary. He can play So he can play in a formation that has three at the back. He can play wide of a three. He can play ten. He can play deeper in the midfield role. There's lots of versatility to his game, which, as a manager, can it solves so many issues.
0: Another player that I personally love, and Chelsea Mike Dub listeners can attest to this, is Reece James. We talked to him here on Chelsea Mike Dub, and he's just such an impressive young man. Has it almost gotten to the point where you can just pencil Reece James in every game, your starter at right back?
1: Reece is one of those players that, outside of Chelsea Football Club, no one really knew. But everyone inside the club knew. And I remember doing a uh, talk sport when Chelsea's young players were doing very, very well. Tamori, Tammy, Mason. And I kept telling people just wait till you see Reese. There's more to come, but just wait till you see Reese because he was injured at the beginning of the season. Reese has got the lot. He has got the lot as, a, as an attacking right back. His delivery is incredibly incredibly good. The, the pinpoint accuracy, the wit that he puts on crosses, he sometimes doesn't even need to have someone in the box or, or sorry, aim for someone. He puts it into areas that are, are just irresistible to strikers, that are dreadful for defenders. And what's, what you've noticed, what you've seen is that the left-back situation clearly has been a problem for Frank. He doesn't quite trust Marcus Alonso. He doesn't quite trust Emerson. And in different formations, it works for, Mar- for Marcus and other ones it works for, for Emerson. But in a four at the back, you've seen him put Dave at left back and Reece at right back. And what that gives you, that gives you a captain still playing, but it still gives you an unbelievable tacking force down the right hand side. Now, he's mature beyond, beyond his years. He's a, he's a man mountain. He's got incredible pace. There are times that his defensive work can perhaps switch off a little bit. I'm going to put that down to youth. He's still miles from the, from the finished article. In terms of his international career, what we might look at here is we have got three incredibly good, young English fullbacks. Trent at the moment, Alexander, is is by far the best fullback in the country. Not just English, but the best right back in the country. I would say possibly one of the best fullbacks in, in world football. Is that good. You've then got Wembasa at Manchester United, who defensively, one v one, I think is the best defender of the three. One v one going forward, he's not as good as Trent or Reese. I think what we'll see between the three of them is I wonder whether Trent might start to look whether he will play a little further forward. Certainly in a three, you could argue that he could play further forward as a three. As a four, you could perhaps put Reese. Uh, you could put Trent into midfield, and you could still have Wembasa or Reese uh, a right back. But in terms of everything, Reese has got. I would say Reese is a better defender than Trent. I would say Trent is slightly better going forward. No one's completely got all angles of that right back sorted completely. So it's going to be down to Southgate who he chooses. But. Let me tell you, he's a very lucky man, Southgate, because he's got three incredibly talented young right-backs.
2: And in some ways a bit unlucky because these are three incredible players, but they're at a glut of one position where, in theory, yeah. if you want to you know, keep a yeah. system, you'd only pick one, right? So uh, that's uh, yeah. that, that, that's a bit of a headache that that wealth can't be spread. But uh, I want to move on to the next player, and that's I, I want to go for a bit of recency here. Billy Gilmore is someone. And, and the reason why I wanted to bring him up is because when you were saying that everyone at the club knew about Reese. Uh, This is something that Frank Lampard has said about Billy, uh, that we knew that, you know, at a certain point, he had to cross the road to move from the academy team into the first team because he just trains too well. And that we knew, and, and Pat Nevin told us this as well, that he knew, you know, at some point, he is going to emerge and i'm kind of waiting for that to happen pat actually thought it should have happened sooner and you know part of that's because he's scottish and he's looking out for his fellow scotsman <laughs> uh, but uh, at, at the same time he's been incredible in, in the few games that we've seen him what do you see in terms of his standout abilities
1: well i mean even though we knew that billy gilmore was a wonderful talent i think we've all been a little bit taken aback at how well he's done and against the opposition and the players he's been he's come up against billy gilmore is the most composed player on the ball, young player I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of young players with his back to play, whether he knows someone's behind him, his half, when he's on the half turn, composure is everything. And there are shades of, I mean, he's called Billy Esther. Okay, That's, <laughs> that gives you some sort of kind of um, idea as to how people think he can get in. I'm not rating him to Iniesta, Esther, but the way that he plays, the way he operates, the way he moves the ball, his spatial awareness his one touch, his passes forward. That's the key here. He looks to go forward. He looks, can I penetrate? Can I get beyond their press? Can I get beyond their midfield and put it into an area where we can really hurt them? And he looks to do it every time. When he can't do that, he keeps possession. He doesn't give it away. He's remarkable. I mean, when you, when you stand alongside him and you and I've interviewed him two or three times now, honestly, he, he could be he could be serving you in Nando's. <laughs> you, you think, honestly, you'd think, this young man here, I've just watched you play 90 minutes and control and run the tempo of a game and you're standing next to me and you're so humble, yet you could turn up with a pizza on my front door. It, it, honestly, that's how he looks. He is so unassuming, but boy, are we lucky. He, he could be... He's got the potential to be the best of any young player we've got right now in the academy.
2: Just for our American audience, uh, Nando's is, uh, is, uh, is, a, is a chain of chicken uh, restaurants right, in, in, the, in the England area. There are actually a few in Washington, D.C. Mike and I, actually, we went to the one when we were there, we were there for a week in December, and we went to the one at Fulham Broadway Station twice in a week because we loved it so much. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> though, yeah. So, so, so serving you Anandos, Nando's, that's what that means. Next is uh, Fakao Tamori. You mentioned how he was player of the season at Derby, and he had a, a while where I thought he was, you know, one of the first center backs on the team sheet uh, week in, week out. Now he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit, had an injury that he picked up and he's recovering from. But uh, ultimately, what kind of prospect do you think Fakao Tomori is at center back?
1: He is trusted. There's no question that Frank trusted him. But then something changed, Chris. I don't quite know what. He, was, he wasn't was just left out of the match day team, and, that mean, and I mean not on the bench. He was left out of squads. And I remember doing some homework and i thought is he injured so i'd done some fishing found out he's not injured he's just not in the in the match day squad at all and i found that really surprising because i felt that tamori was starting to develop into a fine young center half there are still there are errors in his game where it feels like there is one or two a game that are basic there are basic errors in his game small errors that can be rectified not not positional errors not tactical errors, but errors in his game that are easily rectified by saying, look, it's a part of the game. You've got to push, put your foot through that ball, get that ball into him early. The earlier you pass that ball, the more time he has on the ball. And these were, I could, I noticed them. Having said that, I did find it strange that he was out the side for as long as he was. He is incredibly quick, incredibly strong. You remember the game against Liverpool, I thought he was superb against Mohamed Salah. Superb. And again, a young player that is going to develop and get stronger and stronger and better and better. But there are little little errors in this game that I think could be ironed out.
0: One young player who sort of lost the spotlight after being so good last season is obviously Callum hudson doy. We knew it was going to take a while for him to get back to full strength after that horrible Achilles injury. But he's only shown that form from last year a few times. Most obviously in the FA Cup game against Nottingham Forest. Are you concerned with his development? Do you think there was a step back, that injury? Or do you think he can come back to being the player that we saw a lot last season during Cup Ties?
1: I felt so sorry for him. I was at the game when he'd done his Achilles, and we, we saw it, and we knew something had happened. We didn't know how bad it was at the time. But he was just starting to get into his stride, and also as well, he'd been recognized by England. Uh, Gareth had played him in, in a couple of games. And it came just at the wrong time. He you know, could have played in a, in a Europa League final, would have played in some, in some games for England. And then he's got to kind of go back and, and work his way back to fitness and, and re-establish himself again. So you're absolutely right. It's a big injury, especially for players that are so reliant or, so, or have so much pace. Because that burst, when you, you're first to leave the blocks, it's so important you trust your Achilles so important you don't feel or you're not looking for it or you're worried about it because that burst of pace the first thing you do is you push off and that would have been on his mind no question it would have been on his mind and he's got better and better there have been one or two games he's gone a bit quiet I feel at times he's a little predictable he needs to go on the outside a little bit more comes inside a bit too much for me and and he is so quick what you've got to do, you've got a threat on both sides. You've got to have the fullback worrying. I can go on the outside can go on the inside. If you start to become predictable, even if you're quick, they'll start to second-guess you, and that yard of pace that you've got more than them isn't so obvious. So he needs to perhaps have a little bit more to his game. That will come, but there's no doubt in the boys' ability.
0: And we'll close with the contractually obligated Christian Pulisic question. He doesn't fall into the same category as some of the other players, uh, not only because he is older. We obviously are very excited about him we're Americans, sue us. But he obviously has a very positive record for the few months that he was playing and fit, including that perfect game at Burnley in which he scored a hat trick in which saw me high-fiving Ashley Cole and big-timing Sean Wright Phillips. Just truly one of the great Chelsea moments ever. I digress. What have you thought about his impact at the club so far? And why is he number one?
1: I mean, you, you've summed it up pretty well, actually. It, he came in with a big. I think what what a lot of people outside of Chelsea, and there's maybe some inside Chelsea. You've got to remember the price tag. He doesn't decide that. He's still was he 21 when he joined? You know, we're talking about a young man learning his trade. It's a huge price tag. And there's different culture. I know he's I know he's uh, American, and I know the language and, and perhaps the culture is not such a big change. But when you've been in Germany and playing, it is a change, and it, it's a change for such a young man. I thought he, he struggled a little bit. I thought some of his pre-season games were good. I think a little bit early on, it felt he struggled a little bit. I think Frank was right to take him out. But then he brought him back at the right time. You mentioned the, the, the hat-trick against Burnley. He was outstanding. And there were one or two games around that where he was starting to really hit his straps. He felt that he was now starting to feel comfortable in the role that he was being asked. But he was starting to adjust and adapt. And then the injury. It's a little bit like Callum. That comes along and we've not seen the best of him. And I think we're, we're now, I think it's going to feel a little bit like with Callum, a new signing when we get to see him again. Because with William, I think William has done exceptionally well. Pedro in the latter part of the season has also come in and added a real something different to, to Chelsea. It feels like we've kind of forgotten about Pulisic a little bit because of that injury. And I feel for him. It, it's, been a, it's been a tough first season, but there's no doubt in I've seen enough to know what's under the bonnet and there is definitely a player in there. I'm very, very excited about what the future holds for him as well.
0: Jason, thank you so much for your time and breaking down this young Chelsea squad with us. We obviously can't wait to see all these young players back out on the pitch and we can't wait to hear you breaking down all this and much more on Chelsea TV in that Fiststand app or on Talk Sport. Appreciate you coming on, Chelsea Miked Up. Hope you stay safe.
1: Appreciate that and uh, thank you very much. Hi, this is Ashley Cole. You're listening to Chelsea Mike Top. Up.
0: Okay, it's been a good show so far, Chris Whittingham, and thanks again to Jason Cundy for joining us, but I've been wanting to get to this Alvaro Morata topic since I saw these quotes, and I thought I was getting tricked by the internet a little bit because these quotes were lacking in such self-awareness that I thought for sure Alvaro couldn't have said this, but he did. Can you tell the audience while I stand up and breathe Slowly, to compose myself, what it is Alvaro Morata said.
2: Now, the absurd thing is the sourcing on many of these quotes and things that we've talked about in the last few weeks because this is coming from an Instagram Live video with tennis player Fabio Fognini. Why not? It says here, you start with agents, sponsors. I felt a lot of pressure. I wasn't starting games and decided to leave. I went to Getafe for a year, a very nice year, then to Real Madrid. But I, with my father, went to the Calderon and dreamed of playing there. The Calderon, of course, is the home of Atletico Madrid. Unfortunately, I had to play with other jerseys and not with Atletis. But I was always from Atleti. What I have lived stays, but now I am happier than ever. So he basically is lamenting the fact that he had to play for other clubs besides Atletico Madrid, which include... Chelsea Football Club. Now the other thing that I was stunned to read was that he also basically said that he felt for a moment like only Spaniards in the team would pass the ball back to him. So he says at Chelsea there came a time when my teammates except for the Spaniards, well you know it is not the same when you play and you know that you give a pass to someone who is not going to do as well. So unfortunately he had to wear the shirt of other teams besides Atletico Madrid and he felt like non-Spanish players wouldn't pass him the ball.
0: Alright, let me say this on the front end. Usually people couch Something mean they're about to say by saying something nice on the front end. I'm going to do that like, the other with way. With all due respect. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Alvaro Morata is full of it. Okay, he is absolutely full of it, and for whatever reason, he can't keep Chelsea's name out of his mouth, which really bothers me. But let's go through this because honestly, as a Chelsea fan, I'm super insulted. If I were a Real Madrid fan. I'd be irate. I'm barely holding it together right now because Alvaro Morata, one of the more frustrating players, and look, it was not fun. Here come the nice things. It was not fun being Alvaro Morata for about a season-long stretch. I understand. Look, the mental aspect of being a striker is strong, and a lot of people gloss over and are flippant about it. He was public with some of his struggles that he was going through. That was a very difficult time, Uh, a time in which... He didn't know if his career on the international level would continue because he just wasn't bagging in goals. That was his fault, though. He was getting great opportunities. Apparently, it was only Spaniards passing it to him, which, number one, even if I were to believe you, Chelsea have, like, more Spaniards on their team when you were playing than, like, any other Premier League team, (laughs) all right? Of course the Spaniards are going to be passing you the ball. Playing with Ches Fabregas, of course. (laughs) Who else is going to be passing you the ball? Ches is is a magician out there. Yes, he's passing you the ball. I digress. No one forced him to wear a Chelsea shirt. No one forced him to wear a Real Madrid shirt. I understand you have to do the Hulk Hogan cup your hand to your ear and play to the to your current audience. Lost in all of this is Alvaro Morata. His first season with Chelsea was quite good. It wasn't a, an open and shut case. Chelsea had this decision to make. Do we bring Lukaku back? Kante really wanted Lukaku. But I wanted Alvaro Morata, mainly because as we went over with Jason Cundy, Lukaku missed PK in the in the Super Cup, and I never forgave him for it. I was foolish back then. <laughs> but Morata made me feel like I was I was making a right choice there for a little bit, especially early on with his Chelsea performances. I thought that was the right decision to make at striker. Obviously, he had a lot of great opportunities, a lot of gaping wide open nets that he he missed. It was frustrating. We all felt it there as fans. And I know a lot of other fans, and you're a neutral observer. You're not a Chelsea fan, Chris Whittingham. So it might sound a little unctuous when I say not every player is cut out for the bright lights of Sanford Bridge. It obviously elevates my club. It's a sort of way to rationalize. It can't be my club's fault. It it has to be the pressure of Sanford Bridge. But there are players that, for whatever reason, do it other places, get to Chelsea, stop, leave, and start doing it again. This isn't Chelsea's fault, especially, and sometimes it is, sometimes it is. Look, we haven't been great with certain situations. Avonro Morata got chance after chance after chance after chance. They coddled him a little bit, I felt. And part of that was because they didn't really have anybody pushing him. He needed to be there for Chelsea, and he wasn't. All that is to say, fine, wish you the best. But he doesn't shut up about it. And this is a pot shot. I know this is not a traditional medium, but this is coming across as unnecessary and mean, which is what I thought he was towards the end of his time at Chelsea anyways
2: to me. So right back at you, kid. And look, when when it comes to Atletico Madrid, I mean, this is a club and this is a player um, that has not exactly banged them in for fun. He's he's not scoring a ton of goals. He has eight this year in La Liga in 19 starts. This is a club. Atletico Madrid have spent a ton of money on attacking players, trying to fix this 1-0 reputation that they have. They played, before the coronavirus break, 27 games in the league and scored 31 goals. And look, he and he scored some big ones in the Champions League and and knocking out Liverpool and credit to them for, for doing that job, but in the league, they can't score goals. They can't stop drawing games. And Alvo Morata has not exactly, you know, become this prolific center forward, you know, playing for Atletico that he wasn't for Chelsea. And as a matter of fact, his scoring record is actually kind of the same.
0: It's fine. Let's go our separate ways. You don't have to keep invoking Real Madrid and Chelsea to help explain some of your failings. Take some responsibility. Did I do all right there? Was I? Yeah, I, mean? I, I, I,
2: I, I, felt like you could have been far more virulent and, uh, and, and angry about this.
0: You want to know like the most fraudulent part about all of this? I'm actually wearing an Alvaro Morata jersey right now.
2: <laughs> curse number nine. Why do you own that? Why do you
0: wear that? I almost gave this shirt away today. I, really, I haven't worn this Alvaro Morata number nine. This was the first Chelsea shirt of the Nike era. I was honestly going to put on one of my throwbacks, but we've been doing this thing on Chelsea Mic'd Up where we've been recording the video. I'm like, I I don't want to wear a a Chelsea shirt that isn't the appropriate manufacturer and get it out Mm. there and, and unknowingly hurt some feelings because, oh, Nike, till I die or until the contract runs out. (laughs) so i was like i can't really get rid of a a nike shirt right now I'm, i'm bolstering my collection but i wear a lot of chelsea shirts so if i'm going to part with a nike chelsea shirt believe you me this is the first one gone but it is a it is a nice shirt Nike done yeah. done well by it.
2: I, I, I've long said that Nike in the first year the best because they just make the classic kits. Yeah, like I and I, I hate to say this on a Chelsea podcast, but like Tottenham's first year, like just beautiful shirts. But it's the same thing with Chelsea. Like the, the the first year is just gorgeous.
0: Yeah, and this was just so basic. It was a little bit darker on TV. They showed up a little bit darker. We talked about this with Davo when the sweat yeah. picked up on this shirt is just true blue, beautiful, just pitch perfect. Nothing fancy. But I like, they nike it. It's like, okay, we got you comfortable. We're back. You're just happy because you got that Nike comfort, that Nike tech in there. Boom. The jerseys Sanford Bridge's roof. Deal with it. <laughs> I love it. And I can't wait to see what they got in store for the next season. One of the things that I actually wanted to get to in the first segment when we were going over some of the decisions Chelsea have to make in the transfer market was William. This is... Look, it's Mm. widely expected maybe his career with Chelsea is winding down a little bit, not just his age, but Chelsea's policy historically in re-signing players uh, north of 30. Willian, not just hating Tottenham and all that famous stuff that goes into all the discussions whenever you bring up Willian, he's Brazilian, obviously. But you were telling me that Willian might be the last Brazilian at Chelsea for quite some time
2: yeah i mean you look at the current squad i mean so you have what kennedy on loan you have lucas Piazon who's still on loan no wait wait Uh, is Piazon still on loan he's still on loan he's in his seventh loan spell from (laughs) chelsea but in 2012 he's at rio ave in portugal still on loan from chelsea i mean this dude is an
0: absolute professional i've actually seen an article written about his journeys because he's like one of the longer tenured chelsea players yes I can't really remember a time that wasn't a preseason t- tournament. Which He's I made one senior appearance for Chelsea. It's it's pretty amazing. Many of you might know this player by when you go to manager mode on FIFA and yes. a player messages you for playing time and you open up your inbox, and you're like, whoa, this guy's on the team. That's Lucas Diaz <laughs> on.
2: And, uh, and he's yeah. always 73 overall, which oh. is like not quite good enough to play for Chelsea. Yeah. But also, do, do you want to transfer him for $4 million or, or $4 million pounds? Are, are you a pounds or a dollars guy on FIFA? Oh,
0: I, I converted to dollars. And I, yeah. I perennially start him on like the second exhibition game of the Champions Cup as I'm trying to yes. boost my transfer budget. As, as you play the, Augsburg from what, Germany. Hey, man, Mr. Manager <laughs> has to impress the board in the early
2: goings. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Manager is going to also Manage. try to see if
0: we can get that 73 of Lucas Piazon to yeah. a 74. To boost that transfer
2: price. Every time I make Mr. Manager American, I feel like they're judging me slightly more. Yeah. That like that if, if I if I draw one one against Augsburg in the Champions Cup, then they're just like looking at me like I don't I don't know. I don't I'm not feeling this American guy who's in charge of our club. I'm
0: playing FIFA twenty so much in the house now as I'm just starved for anything football, that it's gotten to the point that I know obviously all the words, all the songs, but my wife is now wrapping up my press conferences. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's right they have that voice right yeah. and it's always like it's always like comedy english it's like all right then yeah. uh, press conference over yeah. like it's, it's she it's does like, the woman's like voice. voice that'll be
0: all now no more no no more time for questions thank you she does that which she's enjoying this move out of for mr manager out of the bundesliga more than anybody because now we're at bradford city <laughs> and she's just loving life because she can finally understand the questions coming from. Well, that's the, the right, because like, because when you go
2: when you go away in the Champions League, I'm doing one with West Ham, where I went away to Lazio in the Champions League, and the press conference is in Italian yeah. because you're you're playing against an Italian. I I didn't, I didn't even notice that they did that with the press conference. Oh, I love it!
0: Yeah, that, you never noticed that when no. obviously, as you know, we've talked about it here on Chelsea Mike Dub, the the dynasty that was Frankfurt football, mm. um, unbelievable. <laughs> but I've decided I've had nothing left to prove in the Bundesliga. So, I wanted a real challenge. So, I accidentally took a job with Real Madrid and we are this is really testing the limits of what's worthy of content on Chelsea mic'd up. But <laughs> I, I took a job with Real Madrid thinking that I would be leaving the following season, you know, have one of these sort of handshake gre- uh, agreements. Uh, uh, yeah. A Maurizio Sarri type uh, situation, <laughs> right? I leave Frankfurt in the <laughs> in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. And it's a shame, but I go to Real Madrid and I win it there. But I got so bored because I was so invested in my team and I wasn't ready to go. So I said, all right, I'm not doing this with Real Madrid because I signed Mbappe. And it's just like, what do I, What? Do, what is right. even the meaning of this anymore?
2: It's almost boring to pick a big club because then you assign all the big players, you win all the titles and all right, I won. What? What? what like, What else is new, you know?
0: So now I'm at Bradford City <laughs> and I'm fighting with my board for literally I offered somebody Chris they walked away from the negotiation table because I offered them eight pounds a week for wages <laughs> eight pounds a week and a signing bonus of 20k thinking that would be good enough eight pounds yeah, a week yeah yeah the center back from Jamaica was like I'm not doing yeah. that yeah <laughs> I'm like I understand. Uh, so some center back from Philadelphia <laughs> Union was it wasn't interested in that. oh dude uh, I oh, I'm scoping the union again, welcome back to Chelsea Mike Dub we talk about so, Mr. managers. so g- getting back to the Brazilians <laughs> uh
2: just, just, just whoa, that <laughs> is like, a world yeah. record tangent, <laughs> yeah so uh so <laughs> Willi right now is the last senior representative of Brazil and uh, I was reading a story on the Athletic about this and the the picture at the top of the article has William, David Luiz, Ramirez, and Oscar all on the same team and Obviously, three of those four are gone already, and uh, if Willian goes at the end of his expiring contract, uh, then you have no more Brazilians left. And it's kind of weird because it's, there's kind of been a steady Brazilian presence for a long time.
0: Yeah, steady Brazilian presence, steady Spanish presence. What wasn't really there for Chelsea, believe it or not, was an English presence. There's a hefty amount of international players in their youth academy, too, but it seems to be a bit of a golden generation right now, possibly, for England. And Chelsea uh, seem to be at the forefront of that youth movement in that country, so it's cool to see well, I'm not really sure what to make of this episode of Chelsea, Mike up because we got into some tangents there, Chris. Yeah. Fun one to edit for you this week. Thank you so much for participating, Chris Whittingham. Thank you so much to the listener for listening. Thanks again to Jason Cundy. We will talk to you next week. And the entire episode may just be about my FIFA campaign. We'll see. <laughs> up to Chelsea.